Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. He says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Strange teachings. What kind of teachings were those? Well, let's read on. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. So we've been talking about table talk for the last few weeks, and we're bringing that to a close. This Friday, Good Friday, we're going to have communion together, and we're going to remember everything that we've been speaking about, about communion. It's going to be a fantastic time together, and today I'm bringing it to a close. And because we've been talking about this meal for so many weeks, I wanted to just clarify and bring it together Uh, So that just in case we've misunderstood that actually we're talking about spiritual principles and not really about food. I mean, food is important. I mean, I love food. Do you love food? Food is great. But it's, it's, we're talking about something spiritual. There, There is a physical element. There is a thing about eating together and enjoying meals together and laughing around a table. But actually we're talking about something spiritual. And this verse that's up on your screen is going to stay up there. Basically, there was a teaching going around that said you have to eat certain things and you have to avoid certain things. And if you eat these things, you are holy. You are good. You are a a pleasing person to God. If you eat these things, God is displeased with you. Does that sound like a weird teaching? Well, there's quite a bit of weird teaching about food going around today. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but all I'm saying is the problem is when we start saying guidance on food determines how pleasing I am to God. When we say that, we've missed the boat. He said, don't get pushed off by all sorts of strange teachings. It's about grace. It's about grace. You know, there's so many food experts around these days. I mean, you can buy gluten-free, sugar-free, wheat-free, caffeine-free, calorie-free. It's amazing. It's just incredible. And then you go and you ask for a simple thing like a coffee, and there's like 17 different versions. And you've got to get it just right because the food is its so important. And the choices. You go to the supermarket. There's just so many choices of milk percentages, tiny fractions of how much fat is in the milk, and we get so picky about exactly the food. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a time when there was just no choice and no health and safety rules. Did did anybody else grow up in those times? I mean, we used to ride in the back of open trucks with no seatbelt. In fact, when I was four, I opened the back door of my mom's car while it was going and fell out onto the road. It just picked me up, put me in a bath with some Dettol, and we got on with life. There was no health, health and safety. I remember she found me. I, I had to have all my teeth out because I fell in the bath and I hit my teeth when I was a little kid. So for about three years I lived with no teeth, just gums. And you can see me in all my tiny photos from the first few years of school, smiling in a very strange way because I had no teeth. 
But after I'd had all my teeth out, my mom was looking for me. I'd been anesthetized. I, I was completely unconscious. And she went into the room, and I wasn't there anymore. And she said, oh, no, where is, where is he? And she went out into the garden, and she found me eating. In, in Africa, we have these long centipedes called chongololos. They, they're about this long, and they've got kind of a crunchy shell and lots of legs, and they're black and brown. But when you bite into them, it's like biting into a, a quality street chocolate, you know. <laughs> James says it's not like a quality street chocolate. <laughs> but I mean, I often ate weird things. and we, we just ate whatever. I don't know about you, but we, we really did. Whatever was on your plate, you ate it, you didn't ask questions, and you, you just put up with it. But there was this teaching going around in the churches in those days that said, what you eat determines how close you are to God how pleasing you are to God, how much God loves you. And then there was a companion teaching that went along with it that said, if you obey some of the Old Testament rules, like being circumcised and a few others, only then are you pleasing to God. And then there was another teaching that went along with it that said, if you keep certain feasts and Passover days, if you keep the Sabbath on a Saturday, not on a Sunday, if you keep these certain Passover and other feasts on certain dates of the year, only then are you pleasing to God. If you do it on any other day, you're displeasing to God. And the writer of Hebrews says, it's not about physical things or eating and, and all that kind of stuff. It's more about grace. And what he was saying is that, let me, let me put it into the context of, of our uh, communion table talk series. It's not about going through all the right rules about how you have communion. It's not about that. It's about understanding communion is a picture of grace. When I understand that when I take the bread and I take the cup and I eat it and I say, Lord Jesus, this is your body broken for me. Lord Jesus, this is your blood shed for me. It's not that I've gone through it in the right way. It's not that I've said the right words. It's not that we've prayed exactly the right prayer. It's nothing to do with how good I've been or how much I've complied with rules. The communion meal is a picture of God's lavish grace. He says, you don't deserve it, but I'm forgiving you. You don't deserve it, but I'm pouring out blessing, love, kindness, healing, a future and a plan, all of my miracle power. You don't deserve any of it. You could never deserve it. And yet again and again, the Christians in the Bible and us today fall into this trap. We start off by grace. We say, Lord, it's so wonderful you've saved me. But then we start adding to grace Ah, but if I've fasted enough, if I've read my Bible, if I've complied with this rule, that rule, that rule, and we start adding rules and we think that that makes us good and acceptable to God. He says in this verse, your heart should be strengthened by grace. What does it mean, your heart strengthened? It means I feel comfortable and at peace with God and that God loves me and that I'm acceptable to Him. That's what it means to have a strengthened heart. I feel at rest and God loves me. What does it take to make you feel at rest and, and accepted by God? What strengthens your heart? Is it that you've complied with rules? Or is it grace? You see, the problem is, if you think it's rules, 
you'll feel good one Sunday, or maybe several Sundays, and then you'll mess it up one day. And your Christianity will go, Oh God, I'm a worm again. I'm so unhappy, terrible. I'm, I'm displeasing to you, God. How could you love me? Why? Because I said I would have a quiet time every morning this week, and on Thursday I slept in. It's true. Is it? But if our hearts are strengthened by grace, we understand it's a free gift. I don't deserve it. I was reading about marathon runners, and especially ultra-marathon runners, and please believe me, that is not me. I'm not an ultra-marathon runner, but I know there are several people in this room who have run marathons and ultra-marathons. An ultra-marathon is anything more than 26 miles, so 50 miles, even 100 miles, these people run these marathons. And what I've been reading about them is that it's not so much a physical test, although it is, but when it gets to ultra-marathon stage, a lot of the test of whether you're going to make it has to do with your nutrition. You've got to eat the right things for several weeks or months before the race, and then the last two weeks before the race, you've got to bulk up in your body with the right energy foods because you're going to use so much energy. If you're running 100 miles in one go, you can't eat enough food to give you the energy during those 100 miles. So you have to plan your nutrition well, and especially that last few meals just before you run. And these people, each of the runners has their own different meal that they like to eat. The one guy I read, he just eats pizza, and it's a certain type of pizza and beer. And that's his preparation for his ultramarathon, pizza and beer. And I think that's why some people like ultramarathons, because they get to just eat really badly on the first last few days before they run. Other guys, just pasta, pasta, pasta. Other guys, it's, it's uh, gooey, sugary buns. Other people, it's different things. They, they bulk up on carbohydrates and sugar so that their body is so ready. And then during the race, they stock up with bananas and a few other things. But that meal they eat gets them through the hard times. This Last Supper that Jesus ate with his disciples got him through the ultra-marathon that he was about to go through. And if you and I understand communion as a grace meal, it will get you through whatever hardship, whatever ultra-marathon life has for you. You know, when we walk out of the doors of church on a Sunday, this is like the Last Supper. It's all wonderful. We all love each other. Everyone pretty much agrees with us. The music's nice. Everybody's sweet and they smile. Everybody's bathed or showered in the morning. It's just a lovely environment. But then we get out there and you've got a boss who hates you. You've got a financial problems. You've got a spouse or a child or an aunt. Or, there's always something and it's just like, oh, I wish I could just stay in church all the time. But actually, when we understand the communion meal as a grace meal, it gives us the, the, the strength, the carbo-loading that we need to get through what's out there. You know, Jesus left the Last Supper, this lovely environment with his disciples, and because he understood grace, then he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that he's sweating blood because he is so emotionally overwrought with what he's about to go through. He understands it's not just I'm going to be bludgeoned to death on a cross. I'm going to take the weight of all the sins and all the guilt and all the shame and all the punishment that the whole world's sins deserve. I'm going to take that on myself. 
And he says, my soul is grieving to the point of death. How could he go through that? Because he's understood the communion meal as a meal of grace. And then he goes from there and his disciples betray him. First of all, Judas, one of his close disciples, betrays him, says, with a kiss, says, this is, this is the one you must kill. And then the other disciples just flee and leave him. He's taken to a foreign place, middle of the night. He's tired, he's alone, there's, there's nobody around him that he knows, and they start accusing him. They start saying false things about him. They start beating him with their fists. They rip his beard out. He gets taken to a Roman praetorium where there's all these big, horrible, burly soldiers who just are foul men. And they start insulting him and spitting on him, hitting him, getting a stick and whacking him across the head. They put a crown of big thorns on his head and push it in, start hitting the, the, the thorns into his skull and insulting him and telling him he's nothing, he's useless. How does he go through that ultra marathon? Because it's grace. Because he understands he's accepted by the Father. The Spirit of God is within him. And that's what we can get from communion. From there he gets taken. Eventually he gets um, judged as guilty for something he's never done. He doesn't even argue back. He just takes all the insults. They whip him with this, this whip that's leather with bits of bone and lead built into the leather. So that it strips off the flesh off his back. They rip him to pieces. He's almost dead from the whipping. Just his body's just completely messed up. Blood and flesh broken, bruised and broken. Then they take him, they put a large wooden beam on his back that's not nicely smoothed. It's got splinters, it's heavy, and they make him carry it up a hill. By now, he hasn't slept the whole night. He hasn't eaten or drunk anything for several hours. He's tired, he's dehydrated, he's really going through an ultra marathon and he gets to the top they nail big spikes through his hands through his ankles they nail him to the cross they lift it up they drop it in a hole bang he shudders as he lands and then he can't breathe he has to lift himself up by pulling on these spikes in his hands and his feet to every time he wants to breathe he has to pull himself up through the pain eventually the bible says that because blood and water came out of his side his heart had burst his heart had literally burst within him and he gave up his spirit and he died. An ordeal, an ultra marathon, but he did it because he understood the grace and the power of God that was with him. And you can do the same. And then he gets put alone in a cold, dark tomb. And we understand that even though his body was dead, he wasn't dead. He's put in a cold, dark tomb. The Bible says he went down to hell and he preached to the, the, saint, the people who were stuck in hell. And he took the keys of death and Hades. And three days later, through the power of God, not because he'd eaten the right foods, not because he'd had a quiet time five days, through the power of God's miracle grace, he came alive again. He overcame death. A dead, lifeless body with just cells starting to separate and decay. There's no life left in it. The life of Jesus came back into it. He came alive. The stone was pushed out of the way of the tomb and bright light shone out and he rose again as the Savior who can never die again. He overcame. That's what this meal means. And I want to tell you what we do when we take the bread and the, and the wine. 
What we're saying is, I'm not good enough. But Jesus paid the price. You know, when his body was broken, he said, take and eat this bread. This is my body broken for you. When you take that bread, you're saying, it doesn't matter how many quiet times I have. It doesn't matter if I've been good or bad. It doesn't matter if I've memorized scripture, if I've kept all the feasts, if I've done the right things. Jesus' body was broken so that all punishment and sin for me could be washed away. Isaiah 53. He was wounded or pierced for my transgressions. What are the sins you've done this week that you think you need to be punished for? He was pierced and, and cut and, and stabbed for your sins. Do your sins deserve being, you being pierced? He took that punishment for you. He was crushed for our iniquities or bruised. Those things in you, those propensities to sin, the fact that you always want to sin and your, your heart and your mind go after the wrong things. He was crushed because of that in you. You don't have to pay for that anymore. You feel so guilty. Why do I always want to do the wrong thing? Why do I always lie? Why do I always exaggerate, manipulate, whatever? He was crushed so that you don't have to pay for that. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. You say, what would give me peace in my life? If I just felt forgiven, if I just didn't feel so guilty anymore, or if I could just make restitution for that bad thing that I did, or I feel no peace because of that bad thing someone else did to me. The punishment that brings us peace was upon him. He took the pain and the beating so that you could be completely free of all that guilt and you could forgive others who had sinned against you. And then the last verse, Isaiah 53 verse 5, the last section says, And by his wounds, or by his stripes, his, his cuts, we are healed. It's complete grace. It's complete grace. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And the disciples are thinking, covenant? What's a covenant? Ah, oh, the Passover, where the lamb was sacrificed and the blood was painted over the doors in, in Egypt so that we could go free and the angel of death would pass over our houses. Jesus is saying, when I bleed on the cross, it's the blood of a new covenant for you so that your sins are forgiven. You know, the Israelites sitting in their little houses and they'd painted the door with the blood. They weren't thinking, have I had quiet times today? They weren't thinking, have I complied with all the rules? They were thinking, is the blood on the door? That's all. And when the angel of death passed over, he didn't look at how good they were in the house. He just looked, is there blood on the door? And Jesus said, when you take the cup, you're taking the blood of the new covenant. I'm the Lamb of God, and I'm being sacrificed. I'm perfect. You just have to put my blood on your life, and you are clean. That's grace. That's grace. I want to just close Galatians chapter 3. So, the Galatian church were a church who'd started in grace but then they had gone back into work. Somebody had come to them and said to them, you have to obey these rules. So Paul writes to the Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 6. I'm just going to read you a few verses. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ 
to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Someone had come to them and said, if you're not circumcised, if you don't obey all these rules, if you don't eat the right Old Testament foods, if you don't keep the right Old Testament feasts, then you're not really a good Christian. And Paul says, no, it has to be grace. In Galatians 4 verse 10, he says, verse 9, But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning again to the weak and beggarly elements? to which you desire again to be in bondage. You're observing days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. In other words, if you think it's about rules and being good, you've got nothing to do with Christ. He goes on to clarify. He says, I testify again, every man who becomes circumcised, he has to keep the whole law. And if you do, you've become estranged from Christ. You have fallen away from grace if you attempt to be justified by the law. So Paul is saying to them, if you want to go by how good I am, if your heart is trying to be strengthened by something you've done, if you want to feel good and acceptable to God by how good you've been, you have to keep the whole law. And I want to tell you, you've been estranged from Christ. You've got nothing to do with Christ anymore. And then I just want to close with this verse. Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Paul summarizes his whole argument to the Galatians. Remember, they started in grace. Oh, it's just a gift. I'm a sinner. I need grace. Yay, thank you, Lord. You've forgiven me. But then someone came along and said, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And they'd added rules to their grace. And they, their hearts were trying to be strengthened by how good they'd been. Paul says, be careful. But then he says the antidote. Christ was portrayed to you as crucified. And I just want to close with this to you, my dear friends. Whenever you are trying to strengthen your heart with anything other than grace, if you think you have to be good enough, if you're feeling guilty before the Lord, the communion meal is the answer because Christ is clearly portrayed again as crucified. Don't just look at the bread and the wine and think this is a nice little ritual. Jesus said, do this as often as you eat and drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, remembering what I did for you and to proclaim my death until I come again. When we take communion, we're not making God forgive us. We're remembering what Jesus did on the cross and that God already loves us, already has forgiven us, already has paid the price. It's been done, completely finished. It's paid for. When I do that, when I see Christ as crucified, then my heart is strengthened by grace again. And I stop this nonsense of thinking I can earn or deserve anything from God. Christ portrayed as crucified is the answer to you thinking that you're good enough. And all I do is I remember, I see Jesus on that cross. I see him beaten, cut, bruised. You know, um, 
the Shroud of Turin. I don't know if it's genuine or not, but it does portray a man who was crucified. And if you look at the pictures of that man, whether it was Jesus or not, I'm not sure. But when you look at him, there isn't really an inch on his body where there isn't a wound. There are cuts and whips and bruises and things, his whole body, his face is bruised and swollen, um, just amazing, chest and back and legs just completely whipped and broken. When you see Jesus on the cross dying for you and you realize he's doing it for your sins because he loves you, to forgive you completely and to make sure you healed, there's no sickness that you deserve anymore. When you see that, you say to yourself, this is what I say to myself, there's nothing I can add to what Jesus did on the cross. I can't add. I can't improve on it. I can't pay more than he paid for my sin. I can't do enough penance and make up for my sins any more than he's already paid. When I see him on the cross and I understand what he did for me, I realize I cannot add not even the tiniest little scrap, not an, a, an ounce, not a, a poor, I can't add anything. He's paid the price. I must just rest and gratefully take it. And so I take the bread, I take the cup, and I say, thank you, God, for this free, free gift. Let's worship the Lord together. And remember this every time we take communion. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.